0: what I'd like to do now is to invite Shady to bring the word of God to us. Now Shady is the um, the head of all the community managers. Uh, he's an impressive young man uh, and I, every time I catch up with him, I'm just so inspired by some of his um, the things that God has spoken to him around how to do ministry in the workplace and a pastoral heart and gift outside the four walls of the church. So why don't you give him a hand and I'm going to pray and then he'll bring the word to us. So he's a bit croaky today, Uh, so we'll pray for his voice as well. So let me just pray.
1: Lord God, we just want to thank
0: you uh, just for your word. We thank you for your spirit that's here. We thank you for Shady, God, and we just pray that you will empower him, you will use him, that you will speak through his um, uh, losing voice, but nonetheless that your voice be heard in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. 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 Amen.
1: Laptop's the wrong way around. <clears throat> okay. Good morning, everyone. It is a tremendous privilege and a great honor to be with you this morning. Um, it really is. So wonderful to be in the House of the Lord, where there is no power and the preacher has no voice, which means that God wants to do something really special this morning. Amen. Uh, well, we, we want to talk about this, this topic of caring for people in the workplace, and, and I, I really the aim of today is really just to shift your mindset around how you see yourself within the workplace and, and how you see what God is doing within your workplace is something very intentional and very special and that you are being invited to be a part of it. That this is not just a role relegated to community managers and I've got, you know, Steve and my company from HR who cares for people. No, this is your role that the Lord has called you to do and has placed you very intentionally in that position to do. So... I want to read you uh, a verse that you're all familiar with that will sort of overarch and underpin this whole uh, sort of discussion. Um, and the verse is from Matthew 22, 37 to 39. You are a good church where people are holding Bibles and phones. And so please pull it up uh, and read along if you would like to. It says these words, Jesus declared, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Implied in that statement is that you have a relationship with God, and that relationship Is enabling you to see yourself rightly as someone who is loved, someone who has dignity and value and worth to the point that the Lord Jesus would die on the cross for you because you are that worth it and He sees you as pure, forgiven, loved, and useful. He doesn't just love you, He likes you as well. He doesn't just tolerate you, He is really happy that you are His. But when the guilt and shame and sin and all of the other ways that we see ourselves and condemn ourselves get in the way, because we are not receiving properly from the Lord, from this vertical relationship, it impacts the way that we love our neighbor as who? Ourselves. That one's for free, before we actually begin. If your heart is not in a place with the Lord where you are actually feeling loved, cared for, empowered, worthy. We can't give what we don't have. It's as simple as that. Freely you have received, so freely receive, in order to be able to freely give to your neighbours who we are going to speak about today. Well your neighbors being the people at work, and and every other definition of the word neighbor that we will explore today. I was in China in 2012 on a missions trip, and you know we were with these missionaries who had given up everything to follow Jesus in in, in a very real sense of that phrase, and um, I, I just came up to them and told them how much I admire their faith and how much I admire what they're doing, and I remember the leader there, he just smiled at me and he said, Shady, we're, we're all missionaries. Um, you, you think that a missionary is somebody who packs up their life and goes to the other end of the world, but you have a mission to your next door neighbor. You have a mission to the people in your house. You have a mission to the people in your work, to the friendship group that you have been placed in. You don't have to wait to pack your bags and come all the way out here in order to feel or to know that you have been called to mission. You're already a missionary. Unless you grasp these things and really internalize them, all the practicalities of what we'll share later on in this session won't actually matter. If your heart is not aligned to this, the practical execution of it won't happen. It doesn't matter how many tips and tricks you have to care for people in your workplace. We are all M's. We are all missionaries. Acts 1.8 says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, first in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. There's a missional model in here that we always sort of skip over. I think the order that these cities were written in is intentional. Jerusalem was their home. Judea was their neighborhood, their next-door neighbor. Samaria was their enemy. And then the rest of the world is the rest of the world. We think that, hey, I want to serve the Lord. I want to be on mission. Got to pack my bags. Go to Tibet. How about this? You begin in Jerusalem. You begin in your home with your kids and with your wife and with your... Whoever is your immediate people physically in your home. And you are faithful with that. And then the Lord calls you to your next door neighbor. Which is far harder than than going on mission in China. Believe me. Some people live next to their neighbors for 10 years without knowing their name. We are called to home. And in being faithful with home, we are called to our neighbors. And then a real challenge comes along. We are called to love our enemies. And then it's like, hey, you've been faithful. Go tell the rest of the world what you've discovered. But we want to, we think that mission is. And so you might think this is about caring for people in your workplace. What does this have to do with mission? But we heard last week, I wasn't here, but you heard last week, your work is mission. And so it's important to recognize that this morning, a famous theologian and philosopher named G.K. Chesterton, who I love reading, he said this, because we want to expand on this thought of who is our neighbor, right? Because... That's who we're working alongside every day in a different context. They're also our neighbor. G.K. Chesterton said this, We make our friends, we make our enemies, but God makes our next door neighbor. We make our friends, we make our enemies, but God makes our next door neighbor. Do you have any idea how profound the implications of that sentence are? It means that whoever you're sitting next to is not an accident. You had control over all these different aspects of your life, but God intentionally placed you where you are, next to a specific person that he also placed where you are. I was born in Cairo, Egypt, uh, far, far away from this place. And many of you were born not here. Um, And when I was 10 years old, Um, My family migrated here, and then they didn't just migrate to anywhere here. They migrated specifically to Melbourne and not anywhere in Melbourne. It was the suburb of Mulgrave and not anywhere in Mulgrave. It was a particular court in a particular house next to another particular house where I met a friend who 10 years later I was able to preach the gospel to. Listen, none of this is random. It could have gone a million different ways. We could have gone to a different country, different suburb, different state, different house. So could you. But you didn't. Because the Lord decreed that it would be so. And it's important for you to recognize that. You don't have the job that you have because your resume was the best one, probably was. But did you ever think that the Lord placed you intentionally there? That you work in that job out of all the ones that you applied for, on that particular floor, on that particular desk, next to Steve from accounting, on purpose? Did you ever think that God moved heaven and earth to place you next to Steve? And when you think how much he's actually moved you around in order to put you there, did you ever think how much he moved Steve around to put him next to you? Here's the thing. God places us with incredible, precise, intentional timing next to specific people. We could have put anybody there. He didn't he put you there and he didn't do that by accident we get a little glimpse of this in Acts 9 10 to 12 it says this in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias the Lord called to him in a vision Ananias yes Lord he answered the Lord said to him go to the house of Judas on straight street it's very specific and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul for behold he is praying In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. God made it clear to Ananias what he was doing. The fact that he was intentionally placing him in Paul's orbit because he had a mission towards Paul through Ananias. He had a word, he had healing, he had care, he had a launch of a mission that now gives us half the New Testament that we have, more than half. But what if... God is doing this every single day. He's just not telling you about it. What if that exact same conversation is transpiring in the mind of God going, I want Shady to be in the orbit of X and X and X today because he has this, this, this for them that I want to deliver through him. And it's the same for every single one of you. You have been placed very intentionally within the orbit of the people around you, sitting on the desk next to you in whatever job you happen to have. I want you to know, it's not an accident that you are where you are. And unless you believe that, everything else that will come will not be relevant. That's the truth. Which begs the question, why did God take such great pains to move heaven and earth in this cosmic dance to bring two people together on this particular day whatever day it happens to be there was an australian loneliness report a survey that was done of australians in 2018 the largest of its nature it was done on the topic of loneliness which i think is a fascinating thing to study remember this was 2018 so this these stats are pre covid pre covid Maybe you'll start to realize why God is moving heaven and earth to put you where you are once you hear these. 27% of Australians feel lonely for three or more days per week. One in four Australians experiences high levels of social interaction anxiety. 30% report never or rarely feeling part of a group of friends. 30%. Extrapolate that to the number of people in this room. One in three. One in three report that there is no one in their life who really understands them. One in three. And we've got a a room here full of hundreds of people who know Jesus. Who carry the joy of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit. Who are called to befriend people in this world and to show them the love of Jesus. And here we see that they are starved of it. You are so needed in your workplace. You are so needed in your sporting club. You are so needed on your street. You are so needed everywhere you go. The world is desperate for what you have. Desperate for it. So you're not going in thinking, oh, I'm going to get rejected, I'm going <laughs> to... You're not. Statistically, you're not. People are desperate for what the Lord has to offer through you. And so we're talking about caring in the workplace, really. A question should be, well, why should I care? Let's be honest, let's start there. Why should I care? Well, the simple answer is because your father does. Your father does. There's a verse that I would read as a child. And I love this verse because of what I thought it meant. It didn't mean what I thought. The desires of your heart. So I'm like, okay. So if I delight myself in the Lord, He will give me the red Ferrari that I have a toy of. <clears> That's prosperity, God. We're not. We're not about that here. Um, I, I, we're not about that here. Um, but delighting in yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart, is an incredibly profound verse. For this reason. Delighting yourself in the Lord will mold your heart into His. You will begin to care for what He cares for. And you will begin to love what He loves. And as you are molded, your heart, your desires become His. And so, when you do make requests out of the desires of your heart, they will actually be the desires of His heart. And so, He will happily grant them. Because He already wants to. Right? We get the... The uh, the second sort of half of the coin um, in Matthew six twenty uh, one Jesus sorry first John five fourteen don't go to Matthew six one that's later now this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will he hears us there's the New Testament version of that verse. As we go into these workplaces and we care. We care because God cares. And that's birthed out of our own individual relationships with him. Father, I want what's on your heart to be on my heart. Break my heart for what breaks yours. We used to sing in the songs. And delight my heart in what delights yours. By the same token. Right? So from how do I care? Or why should I care? To now how do I care? Well... To explore that question, why don't we just ask the reverse? How do you not care about something? Sometimes it's, you're too used to hearing it a certain way. Mixing it up is always fun. How do you not care about something? Well, you neglect it. You take no interest in it. You ignore it. You play it down. And finally, you let it pass completely from your mind. Joel said to me, and this is in my notes before he said it up here, you will never influence what you don't love. Jesus says it a different way. Matthew 6.21, and here it is. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your what? We're engaged this morning. There your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I, I have, don't judge me for this. I have a, a fantasy football team on my phone. Some of you know what that is. Some of you don't. But it's like you... you, you watch the soccer, and you pick players before the game begins that you think will score or will perform well or whatever. Um, And these players play in England. They're a million miles from me. The outcome of the game has absolutely zero bearing on my life. And yet, I will stay awake till one and two in the morning to watch, to see if the player I chose scored a goal. And it's like, where you invest, you suddenly begin to care. Where you invest, you suddenly begin to care. Jesus' words hold true in simple, stupid things like fantasy football and in very important things like loving your neighbor in the workplace. Have you taken the time to actually invest your time, your attention, your affection in Steve from accounting, who God has intentionally placed in the seat next to yours? So begin by allowing yourself to become curious. That's how you begin to care. Begin by becoming curious. That's how you begin to care. I wonder what's going on with Steve today. I wonder how his weekend was. I wonder how his night was. I wonder, ah, uh, be curious. If you're curious, ask a question. That's what comes next. And a question will beget a conversation. And from a conversation, you will hear things that you should be praying for. And as you pray for them, you are sowing more into that little chest of Steve. And so when you come tomorrow, you'll be like, "I want just like the FPL team, I wonder how Steve went last night, or I wonder how he went with that thing, or with the surgery, or whatever it is. But now I'm invested. I'm invested. I have a dog in the fight. I want to know what's going on with Steve. Become curious. Ask a question. Start a conversation. Listen in that conversation and glean from it something that you can pray for and then follow up and do it again and again and again and again and watch what happens and watch how closely Steve will get to you. By the way, if somebody really does work next to a Steve, they must be feeling mad conviction right now. <laughs> um, but there's <coughs> take it, take it as a sign <clears throat> now. People ask all the time, how do you define community? We're community managers. How do you define community? And so, uh, you know, if you ask a hundred different people, they'll give you a hundred different definitions of what community is. My personal one, I don't know if somebody else came up with it before me, but my personal one is community is common unity. It's in the name. Common unity. We gather around the things that we share in terms of values and likes and and, and dislikes sometimes even. Um, But we we kind of are floating on our own little islands until these little islands emerge of things that we share and then we jump onto them together and all of a sudden you have community. You have communion with one another over the things that we share, right? But this is an issue because people apply that definition in a, a way that's far too narrow. They think that I have something in common with someone if we like the same footy team or if we speak the same language or even if we share the same faith or we come from the same place. All of those things I want to say to you are incredibly superficial. Really sheds? Yes, really. They're very superficial. Because if any of them are missing, you will give yourself the permission to withdraw from the relationship. You'll say, well, we don't like the same footy team. We don't have the same faith. We don't come from the same place. You know what? I don't really have anything in common with this person. That's a lie. I'm just going to call that out right now. That's a lie. And it's limiting you from being able to interact with people, many people who God has placed in your life that transcend that view that you can be interacting with. And I want to explain to you what I mean by that. I want to read you a passage from Genesis that you're all very familiar with, and I want to test this theory with you. Genesis 3, 6 to 10 says this. Listen intently and see what you can pick up from this. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid Step into Adam's shoes for a moment and answer these questions for me. What emotions can you identify in Adam in that moment? How do you think Adam is feeling? What has he expressed in his actions and in his words just there? Can you hear some fear? Can you hear any guilt? Can you hear any shame, confusion? Maybe a little bit of resentment towards Eve. Starting this conversation with Satan. Who can identify those feelings in Adam? Genuinely, hands up. Who has ever experienced any of those feelings in their own lives? Fear, shame, guilt, hands up. Everyone in the room. So please explain to me. How you, in 2023, in this building that's supposed to have electricity but doesn't for right now, right, can relate to someone six plus thousand years ago who bears whose life bears absolutely no resemblance to yours whatsoever. Adam doesn't have an iPhone. He's never seen a computer. He's never ridden in a car. Never seen a plane. And yet... You and I can perfectly identify and understand exactly how this man from 6,000 years ago is feeling. We have no common ground with Adam whatsoever. Whatsoever. Practically speaking, whatsoever. And yet we can fully relate to him. So we can relate to David in the Psalms. We can relate to Moses in the desert. We can relate to Paul in the upper room. We can relate, we can relate, we can relate. And that's the point. We can relate. We can relate. We don't have to like the same footy team in order to relate and to minister to people. It transcends that. And it does so because of this fundamental truth. We all came from the same manufacturer. And so we all have the same, what do you call it, the OS on your phone, the operating system. We all have the same operating system. It's this baseline thing that enables us to function the way that we do. So there are these hard-coded things in us that are the same in every single human being, whether it's Adam 6,000 years ago or Steve who sits next to you from accounting. It's exactly the same. And if you can interact with people based on those things, on those transcendent things that the Lord has put into the heart and soul of every human being, there will be nobody outside of your reach. Regardless of how much you think you have with them in common. Because the fact that you have that with them in common. That they were also made in the image of God. Intentionally woven together by him. That will be enough. And here's what I mean by that. I feel like my eyebrows are going to leave my, my <laughs> head. <clears throat> here's what I mean by that. Every single human being you have ever interacted with. Whether they are a baby crying in the cot or an 80 year old has the exact same set of needs. Every single one, and here they are. We all long for a sense of being deeply and truly known, loved, noticed, heard, understood, secure, supported, recognized, worthy. Can you identify with wanting all of those things for yourself? That really everything that you've ever done in your life is actually driven because of these. I want to do really, really well in my job or in my school or in my whatever because I want mom and dad to notice and to tell me that I'm a good boy or a good girl. Or that I... We are driven at core by these things. All this other stuff up here is superficial. This, this is how you connect to people. At this level. Because if you can connect to Adam in that passage, you can connect to Steve. You don't need to like the same footy team. I want to really hammer that point home. Tim Keller says this, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. Think Brad Pitt. Like a million people will be screaming his name, but who really knows Brad Pitt, right? You might know the character, but do you really know the man? It's superficial, comforting, that everybody kind of is speaking to me this way, but they don't really know who I am. Now, To be fully known and rejected, well, that's our deepest fear. Which is what keeps us at number one. We want to, you know, superficially like me and and, and enjoy the mask that I'm wearing. But, you know, I don't really want to go any deeper than that because that's really scary. Because what if you don't love me and you reject me? And so Steve feels this way, by the way, right? But the third one is what if I can be fully known and fully loved? Well, Tim Keller says that's a lot like being loved by God. Here's the deal everybody you interact with is desperate to be vulnerable. They are desperate to talk. They are desperate to be loved in this way, to be known, to be seen, because it's hardwired into them by their maker. It's part of the OS. They have rarely ever felt safe enough to drop their guard. You can be their safety. You can be their safety. You can be the place where they can be vulnerable, maybe for the first time in their life. You occupy a place in your workplace that is really unique, relationally speaking, because some people come to me, a husband of a wife of 20 years. And he says different things to me. And then he says, I can't really say this to my wife because if I say this, she'll interpret it through, the year, through 20 years worth of marriage and she'll hear this and this and this. But when I speak to you, you don't judge me for that. This is not a dig at husbands and wives. I'm just saying, there is this unique place where you're part, you're in people's lives, but you're not really part of their lives. They go home to a completely different set of friends and a life and, and, and all this kind of stuff. But you occupy this unique Few hours every day of their week where you get to be in their lives but still separate enough from their lives that they can tell you anything. You ever thought about that? You can be that safe place for them so that they can drop their guard and actually speak to you. And so I want to end um, by giving you some, some practical Advice in terms of what does it look like to actually care for people in the workplace. I'll say this to you. There are are sort of three underpinnings that, that enable care to take place really effectively. One is proximity, which Joel spoke about perfectly. So share the space. I won't say more about it than that. The other one is time. Share the space consistently, right? That's time. And maybe one of the sacrifices that you're being called to make is to not work from home for four days a week. Maybe go into the office one more day so that you can have more time to invest with Steve from accounting. I don't know, right? But proximity plus time plus the third one, which is the key, transparency or vulnerability, right? You want someone to be vulnerable, don't keep your walls up. Drop them. When you drop them, you will find inevitably they drop theirs. Right, I'm not saying tell them your deepest, darkest secrets, but I'm saying, well, I'll give you an example. Right, every "How are you?" or every "How was your weekend?" is an opportunity for you to practice vulnerability throughout your workday. Let me explain how that works. Right, I go up to someone and I ask, "How was your weekend?" They inevitably answer with, "Good." <laughs> Conversation over. Like that's a waste of time. Right, so I'm I'm not satisfied with that being who I am. So. I go, okay, uh, they ask because they're polite, how was your weekend? And so I reply, oh, it was really good, like we did this and this and this, but actually I'm feeling a little bit tired and this morning I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit stressed. I have a presentation at 4 p.m. and I've prepared it, but you know, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous, and, but I think it'll go well. How was your weekend? And I pretend that I didn't ask the first time. And all of a sudden they go, oh, the kids did this, and then we went here, and then, and I'm like, oh, there's a million threads that I can now pull on because you've actually started to speak. But it began when I was vulnerable. I didn't tell you my deepest darkest, but I was honest. I was honest with my weekend or my day or my night or how I'm feeling in this moment. I was honest, and that honesty is reciprocated. So use wisdom, but be vulnerable. And if you're vulnerable, they will be vulnerable back. Nine times out of ten, I've been doing this for a long time. I promise you, they'll be vulnerable back. Lead the conversation with questions. Once the conversation begins, if two people are trying to be interesting in a conversation, there's no one left to listen. (laughs) So listen. You You be the one that listens. Okay? And when you hear something interesting, ask a question to draw out more. And if you draw out more, you will hear more, and then the conversation will... Get deeper and deeper and deeper. And you will find more and more and more things to pray for so that you can invest. And then as you're talking, after the conversation, take notes. Hey, he mentioned that he has a daughter. She's eight years old. Her name is Evie. She has a piano recital two weeks from now. Calendar app, piano recital for Evie two weeks from now. Ask Jeff about it. I can't keep track of the hundreds of people I talk to. I use my phone. And then when it comes up in whatever, two weeks time, the following morning, I'll go to Jeff and I'll be like, hey, how was Evie's piano recital? And to him, it blows his mind because like, Shads, you talk to hundreds of people, man. How do you remember that Evie has a, it's cool magic trick from his end, but from my end, <laughs> it's, it's a really intentional way of caring because he feels like he's the only one in the room. When I do that, you cared enough to ask. It's not even asking about me. It's asking about my daughter and her piano recital. Is this practical? Does this make sense, what I'm saying to you? Yes? Amen. Great. Amazing. Last one is pray before, during, and after every conversation. Just, just a quick, What Lord, give me the wisdom. Lord, give me the strength. Lord, give me the empathy. Lord, give me the energy to listen to this conversation. Whatever it is, pray during for wisdom. Pray after for a heart to continue to care and repeat this process day in and day out. Something that we say is we want to care for people. We want to be there for people 364 days of the year so that on the 365th, when the bottom inevitably falls out for someone, you will have earned the right to sit in that moment with them on that day. Because you've demonstrated love 364 days a year. It's not random for you to then step into the 365th with confidence. Really, for them to invite you into that 365th. I want to just end with... I'm finished. I just want to end with these encouragements. I'm aware that we've gone over time. Uh, I apologize. The care that you show opens the door for the good news. You know? Jesus addressed the practical, tangible needs of people before he said, go and sin no more. Go and read the Gospels again. Hey, you're hungry? I'll feed you. Then I'll preach. Hey, you're blind? I'll heal you. Then I'll say, go and sin no more. Whatever it is, now he's Jesus. He could do things, right? So he saw what the need was. He addressed the need and that opened the door to relationship and from that relationship, the Gospel could be preached. So don't neglect this bit and then just wait to give a tract care care and that will open the door to relationship and then you can say what you have to say this next quote is a little bit it's not crass but it, it, it's it's rough so just take it in the spirit in which it was meant because it's one of the greatest encouragements to me when I heard it the quote says this when God made his plan for your life he factored in your stupidity <laughs> okay. amen that is so encouraging to me. that Because I feel so inadequate all of the time. I feel like, I'm, Lord, you put, why, how am I supposed to lead these people? How am I supposed to stand up here and say this? Or how am I supposed to go tomorrow? And knowing how far short I fall of everything I've said to you this morning, go and do it again. But he says, I chose you on purpose. I know what you can and can't do. And I still chose you anyway. That goes for every single person in this room. He factored in your stupidity when he made the plan for your life. He knew where you would fall short. And he said, my grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in weakness. So don't rob him of the opportunity to show that grace, that power. So become curious. Start a conversation. Pray about what you heard. And repeat that process. Um... The Lord has, it says in Ephesians that, I believe Ephesians, the Lord has prepared good works for us in order that we should walk in them beforehand, before time. And I think of a father with a five year old son, and he prints out these little footsteps in the printer, and he cuts them all out, and he goes to his son's room at five in the morning before he wakes up, and he starts laying out these little footsteps. From the bed all the way to the front door and then out to a great adventure if the son chooses to follow those little footsteps. And the footsteps and the path they lead on are new every single morning. You imagine if that's what the father delights in doing every single morning. Printing out these little footsteps, these little adventures that we get to pursue every day. With Steve next to us and many, many others for a lifetime. That every day is new and different as we partner with him. So I encourage you, take heart. You're placed where you are on purpose. God can use you. He knows your shortcomings. He doesn't mind. He put you there on purpose. And that caring is such a practical exercise in showing the love of God to your neighbor. To your neighbor. I hope this encourages you this morning. I just want to pray so that the team can take us away. Heavenly Father. We thank you so much that you love us so. Um, Lord, I pray that above all, we would get a glimpse today of how much you love us and how much you care for us in order that we may freely give from what we have freely received. Lord, free our hearts to care. Free our hearts to give the way that you would desire us to. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.
0: Wasn't that good? Yeah, let's give him another hand, yeah? And the team as well, Randell and Joel. Um, I think there was so much there. And uh, what I want us to be able to do is have an opportunity to respond. Um, the verse that came to my mind, as, as Shady was talking about, I hope that this gives you a new step as you go into your workplace. That you are not there by accident, but you start thinking, I'm there by appointment. Can I hear an amen? amen. Everyone say together. I'm there by appointment. Ready? One, two, three. I'm there by appointment. It's not an accident. It's appointment. And in Acts chapter 17, this is what Paul says. For one human being, he created all races of people. He made them live throughout the whole earth. God himself fixed beforehand the exact times and the limits of the places they would live. Amen? he did this. Why? So that they would look for him and perhaps find him as they felt around for him. Yet God is not actually far from any one of us. Amen. And it's the same thing that he's saying. It's just that God has designed each and every one of you to be in the appointed places that you are in. It is not an accident that you are sitting next to Steve. Okay. And so I think that's a huge mindset shift. And I believe that as we begin to be able to do that, you go, God, this is my appointed time. This is my appointed place. And if I look around where my neighbor is right now, this is the appointed people. Yeah? And this is my unique opportunity to be that safe space for them to know God and to experience the love of God. Okay? So why don't we all rise to our feet? I want you to open your, open your hands and I want us to respond as uh, the, the team leads us in worship. But I just want to give two sense of um, responses and if I can get the prayer team to come up to the front as well, we'd love to be able to pray for anyone who's in need of a prayer. But there were two things that I wanted a sense of response. Number one, for those, you cannot give what you have not received. And I had that conviction that as Shady was sharing, there are some of us here who have not, Really known and believed that God deeply loves you, that He sees you worthy, He sees you precious. And in some way that has been that has spoken into your soul and into your spirit as to why it's you find it dysfunctional in the way you relate to other people. It's because God is saying, I want to heal you. I want you to know how deeply loved and worthy you are in my sight. The second was just for us to as we worship the Lord, ask the Lord, who is it that you want me to reach out to? Who is it that you've appointed and placed me next to that I can show the love of Jesus to? Okay, so let me pray and I'll, I'll leave, it, leave it to Penin, and he'll lead us in worship and close. Lord God, we just want to thank you again just for your word. We just thank you that you're a God that is so active and proactive, God, in putting us in times and places in around people that you want us to reach out to god i thank you for the love that you have given us help us have a greater vision and revelation of that for our own lives so that as we love you with all our heart we can love others as you have loved us and so lord god we just want to pray that you'll give each and every one of us a, a vision of someone that you have appointed for us to be able to manifest and show the love of jesus to. in the name of jesus amen